Section 112 of Word Portraits of Famous Writers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Laura Langston. Word Portraits of Famous Writers. Edited by Mabel E. Wotton. John Wilson, 1785 to 1854. From De Quincey's Life and Writings. William Wordsworth it was who did me the favor of making me known to John Wilson, a man in a sailor's dress, manifestly in robust health, veridus viventa, and wearing upon his countenance a powerful expression of ardor and animated intelligence, mixed with much good nature. Mr. Wilson of Ellerey delivered as the formula of introduction in the deep tones of Mr. Wordsworth, at once banished the momentary surprise I felt on finding a stranger where I had expected nobody, and substituted a surprise of another kind, and there was no wonder in his being at Allen Bank, L.R.A. standing within nine miles, but, as usually happens in such cases, I felt a shock of surprise on seeing a person so little corresponding to the one I had at first half-consciously prefigured. Figure to yourself a tall man about six feet high, within half an inch or so, built with tolerable appearance of strength, but at the date of my description, that is, in the very springtide and bloom of youth, wearing, for the predominant character of his person, lightness and agility, or, in our Westmoreland phrase, lishness, he seemed framed with an express view to gymnastic exercises of every sort. Ask in one of your public libraries for that little quarto edition of the rhetorical works of Cicero, and you will there see a reduced whole length of Cicero from the antique, which in the mouth and chin, and indeed generally, if I do not greatly forget, will give you a lively representation of the contour and expression of Professor Wilson's face. Of all this array of personal features, however, I then saw nothing at all, my attention being altogether occupied with Mr. Wilson's conversation and demeanor, which were in the highest degree agreeable. The points which chiefly struck me, being the humility and gravity with which he spoke of himself, his large expansion of heart, and a certain air of noble frankness, which overspread everything he said. He seemed to have an intense enjoyment of life, indeed, being young, rich, healthy, and full of intellectual activity, it could not be very wonderful that he should feel happy and pleased with himself and others, but it was something unusual to find that so rare an assemblage of endowments had communicated no tinge of arrogance to his manner, or at all disturbed the general temperance of his mind." 1808. From Harriet Martineau's Biographical Sketches. If the marvel of his eloquence is not lessened, it is at least accounted for to those who have seen him, or even his portrait. Such a presence is rarely seen, and more than one person has said that he reminded them of the first man, Adam, so full was that large frame of vitality, force, and sentience. His tread seemed almost to shake the streets, his eye almost saw through stone walls, and as for his voice, there was no heart which could stand before it. He swept away all hearts, whithersoever he would. No less striking was it to see him in a mood of repose, as when he steered the old packet-boat that used to pass between Bonus and Ambleside, before the steamers were put upon the lake, sitting motionless with his hand upon the rudder, in the presence of journeymen and market-women, with his eyes apparently looking beyond everything into nothing, and his mouth closed under his beard, as if he meant never to speak again. He was quite as impressive and immortal an image as he could have been to the students of his class or the comrades of his jovial hours. 
from forster's life of dickens walking up and down the hall of the courts of law which was full of advocates writers to the signet clerks and idlers was a tall burly handsome man of eight and fifty with a gait like o'connell's the bluest eye you can imagine and long hair longer than mine falling down in a wild way under the broad brim of his hat he had on a surtout coat a blue checked shirt the collar standing up and kept in its place with a wisp of black neckerchief no waistcoat and a large pocket handkerchief thrust into his breast which was all broad and open at his heels followed a wiry sharp-eyed shaggy devil of a terrier dogging his steps as he went slashing up and down now with one man beside him now with another and now quite alone but always at a fast rolling pace with his head in the air and his eyes as wide open as he could get them i guessed it was wilson and it was a bright clear-complexioned mountain-looking fellow he looks as though he had just come down from the highlands and had never in his life taken pen in hand but he has had an attack of paralysis in his right arm within this month he winced when i shook hands with him and once or twice when we were walking up and down slipped as if he had stumbled on a piece of orange peel he is a great fellow to look at and to talk to and if you could divest your mind of the actual scott is just the figure you would put in his place eighteen forty one end of section one hundred twelve recording by laura langston